0: Well, good morning, Porch Community. Good, uh, good Labor Day weekend to you. Um, <clears throat> so, we are starting a new series uh, today on the Book of Leviticus. So, um, in the first part of 2021, my mic's hot. It's a we got a hot mic. In the first part of 2021, we we did a sermon series on the book of Genesis, and then in the fall of last year, we moved into um, a series on uh, the next book, Exodus, and so now we find ourselves at the third Old Testament book, which is the book of Leviticus, and so we're going to be walking through this actually through the end of October. So um, some of you are like, okay, well, I'll see you in November, um, hopefully you'll be back. Interestingly, I found this very interesting, Um, Leviticus was the first book that Jewish children studied in synagogue, which was their school. They didn't like go to school and then go to synagogue. Synagogue was their school. And Leviticus was the very first book that they learned because it was the one that contained the law. that contained the ritual. It contained the, this is how you are to be holy, how you are to be clean. And so it was considered you know very, very important. So this is what they started with. And then you compare it to today, where it tends to be one of the last books of the Bible that anyone really wants to get into, most likely because, I know for me it's true, and I've heard from others of you that said this, because Leviticus addresses a lot of things that seem rather irrelevant today. Uh, It addresses detailed, extremely detailed ritual about sacrifice. Well, we don't live under a covenant that requires us to make sacrifice anymore, right? Jesus has done that for us. And so we might find ourselves going, eh, I don't really need to read that. It's extremely detailed about sacrifice. Extensive rules, extensive rules for how to be clean or to avoid being considered unclean. Um, and these rituals and rules, they just they just don't really apply to Christians under this new covenant that you and I live under, and I would compare it to um, if you had to research a topic um, it would be like none of us would go, hey, let me go check out my 1975 encyclopedia Britannicus, you know, that granny, you know, has that we, we inherited. Uh, we have new, uh, we have, we have uh, resources. We have ways to do research now that, that's updated. And so I, I think that's kind of how sometimes we look at Leviticus and maybe even some of the other Old Testament books. Like, oh, uh, that's old and now there's new. But the whole scriptures... All of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation together create this beautiful, beautiful picture. And so let's not discount Leviticus. And, and my prayer is that, and I know it's true for me as I've been preparing for this series. I know Justin has as well. Like that as we walk through this, that we will have a, a much greater understanding, one, for the book itself. But two, for what it means for us today. What it means for us today. Right? So Leviticus in and of itself was written um, basically, if you had to boil it down, to address sin, because it was happening, because they're human beings, to address sin and how to deal with it as, as God's people, because they were God's people. He called them his people. How do you address this sin issue? Um, and it might appear to go, okay, again, we got Jesus. We don't, we don't need to understand that today. But Leviticus is a book for us today because we are still sinful people and God is still holy. Okay, so, so this still is a book for us today. Um, now, it's, it's a larger, there's a larger story when you think about Leviticus. It fits into the larger story because, uh, for example, in Genesis, what we have is... Um, It it answers the question of, okay, this is how God will provide for Abraham, his promised descendants. This is how God is going to work through him. And then you move into Exodus, and what we find is that Exodus begins to answer this question of, okay, how is God going to redeem Abraham's descendants? How is he going to bring them out of slavery? How is he going to bring them into the promised land, which leads us right into the book of Leviticus, right? And, and the question is there. So the question's kind of before us. Okay, we understand God has His people, God has rescued His people. There is a promised land. But then it's like as Leviticus starts, there's this question that's kind of hanging over the whole thing, and it's I'll, we have it here as how can a holy God relate to sinful people? How is this going to happen? He's God. They're sinful people. He's not going to have anything to do with sin. And all God wants to do throughout this whole book, what you'll find, is he just wants to restore. He wants to restore what it was like in Eden, what was broken. This is God's heart, is to restore relationship with humanity. But sin is a problem. So as Israel struggles with sin and idolatry, which, again, by the way, that wasn't just a Levitical problem, (laughs) It's true today, sin and idolatry. How can a holy God relate to a sinful people? So this is where this third book of Leviticus comes alive, and it begins to answer the Old Testament answer to the question, how is God going to deal with sinful people? And we're going to start today with, you know how like when you're, you're flying in a plane and you look out the window and you see like all the different like, you can see the land and the crops and different things and all that. We're going to do the 30,000 foot view today of Leviticus. And then with each week we're going to, you know, I'll bring the plane in for landing, I guess you will. We'll zoom in a little bit. So today is the, the, the 30,000 foot view. And so we're going to start from looking how Leviticus is, is broken into five different sections and, and they're themed sections. And at times it'll seem like it's repeating there are these themed sections, and so I want us to look at them today. So, and then I'm going to give like a key verse that comes out of each uh, section. And all of this, friends, is going to lead us to the table together this morning, the table of communion. So the first section of Leviticus, um, these, this covers chapters 1 through 7, and it covers this, and it is, it is intensive and extensive. It's both. But it covers this theme of the cost of our sin and the grace of our God. There's a cost to our sin and yet God is gracious to us because he makes a way for that sin to be covered. But there is a cost for our sin. And to me, that is the very first reason we go, oh, Leviticus don't need to read it. No, I need to be reminded of the cost of my sin. Perhaps you do as well. There's a cost to our sin. And so these chapters set this up, this extreme cost. It, is, it costs so much. And the Lord establishes a system of sacrifice. So it's very involved in these chapters. A system of sacrifice whereby those who sin may present, guess what? A substitute. A substitute for their sin. Another living being That can shed blood for the sin. This is what verse 4 of Leviticus 1 says. Talking about um, the the substitute. Lay your hand on the animal's head. And listen to these words, friends. And the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Is that not the cross language? Is that not the, the symbolism of what we, what we will celebrate in the sacrament this morning? And it's here in Leviticus, in our place, a substitute in our place. So every time a person sins in this time of Leviticus, they were to bring an animal that would receive the death penalty that they deserved. And so that does show the, 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 the grace of our God. Because he could have just been like, you sin, you're done. But he made a way. He made a way. And, and, and I will, I understand this. I, I, I will, I don't think any of us will ever fully get it. But under the new covenant that you and I live in, I don't think we fully understand the poignant picture of what sin costs. Like we will see as we walk through Leviticus. Blood's everywhere, everywhere, all over the place. And, and I think about, I mean, and I say that, I mean, I'm kind of like, a, but it's, um, okay, I'm trying to, like, when I think about Old Testament and I think about sacrifice and all those things, and I think about, okay, I've sinned, I must take something to, uh, to the priest and, and I must present it and it must be uh, killed in my place. There's a cost to that. You, you have to bring an animal from your flock, and it has to be the, the best one of your flock. Right? And if you don't have a flock, then you have to purchase one, so it comes with a cost. And then you bring it, but guess what? You don't just hand it to the priest and go, thank you. <laughs> no, you cut the throat for the blood to drain out. I know it's a little gross. So think about that. I mean, it's messy. But I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know, if, if I'm living back in that time and I've, and I've messed up, I've sinned, and I've got to take an animal and I've got to do the sacrifice, I'm just going to guess that I'm not the only one that sinned. So I'm guessing that there's been some other people that have also done sacrifices that day. And there's going to be people behind me. Can you imagine what that, what that altar must have looked like, smelled like, See, we we don't we don't get we don't we don't understand the cost of sacrifice this is why leviticus is important for us to understand leviticus helps us see the the not only the cost but the extravagance of god's love the fact that he would allow the blood of an animal to cover my sin So that's the first section that we see, the cost of our sin and the grace of our God. And then the second section, which covers uh, chapters 8 through 10, we see that there is a need for a mediator. There is a need for a priest. There is a need for someone to help us be holy, to help us know the law, to understand the law, to, to know what, what it says. Because, I mean, if, if there's a way for me to be clean, I want to know how to be clean, Right? I don't want to be unclean unknowingly, so, so we need to know this. And because God is holy, what he does is he requires a mediator to be there because he's not going to have anything to do with us in our sin. He loves us and cares for us, but he cannot be in the presence of that. He will not. So we need a way to connect to God. We need this. He needs a, we need a, a mediator to stand between ourselves and God. And so what he does in these chapters is he starts to set apart priests, holy people, to help them understand these, all these laws and all these regulations and all these rules. He sets apart priests. This is what verse 10 in chapter 10 of Leviticus says. This is what Uh, The Lord is saying to the priests, he says, you must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean, and you must teach the Israelites all the decrees that the Lord has given them through Moses. So the role of priest was incredibly important. In in order for this Leviticus even to, to, to be able to work, it needed priests. And so now, and what we find then, though, is that these priests themselves, guess what? They're human beings too. They mess up too. They sin as well. So the question begins to kind of start to develop over all of this system, detailed system, is who is going to be the most faithful mediator? Who's going to be the most faithful priest between God and us? Who can be good enough? Which leads us to the next section, chapters 11 through 15. And it goes into again, I mean, I cannot overstate how detailed all this is, but we will zoom in on it. But chapters 11 through 15 go over the, the distinction between clean and unclean. What is clean? what is not? What is acceptable? What is unacceptable? Now, back in Exodus 24, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to remind us that that's where God makes a covenant with Israel. That's when he sets us apart, his people apart. He consecrates them. They've been consecrated, which means they set apart and, and considered like holy and good, that, that God has a special place for them. And this story continues into Leviticus as God is explaining to them how they should live this consecrated life, how they should live this set-apart life in order for them to approach him. That's the the end goal, remember? The end goal is for us to be in relationship with God. The end goal is for us to be able to, to come before God and not burn up and die. The end goal is for us to be able to be in the presence of the Lord. And this is what he is trying to establish This is what verse 45 of chapter 11 says. God is speaking. He says, for I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I am holy. This is a desire for them. This is why there's all these laws about what's, what's clean and unclean. He wants them to be set apart. The distinction is there. Very detailed, very involved, very specific, daunting, if you will. And so this whole the, the idea of this is this obedience to these cleanliness laws is, is making it possible for us to be present in worship. And so if nothing else, here's what Leviticus says. Does it cause, I, I, as I read this, as I look at this, what I go, I just read it, I go, oh, thank you for Jesus, thank you. Thank you for that, thank you for the great high priest. Thank you for that mediator. Thank you for the one that's, that's done the sacrifice. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so you have to assume that those who were committed to following Levitical law who loved God with all their heart, who, who claimed him, they, they understood he was holy and they were not and they had these laws and they had these regulations and they had these rules and they had all this and they learned it from the earliest age. You have to assume that there was a longing in, within them to go, oh, I wish there was an easier way. Excuse me, that's not the right word. Oh, I wish there was a better way. I wish there was a better way. And friends, we live in the better way. This is why Leviticus is so powerful, is to see this and understand this. Now, the fourth section begins to show this foreshadowing, and it's chapters 16 and 17. And it shows the foreshadowing of the perfect mediator, right? The great high priest, the perfect one. Because in these chapters, what we find is this day of atonement, the day of atonement, which is a wonderful day for the people of Israel, the day of atonement. It happens once a year, and it's the day when all of Israel's sin was forgiven. Whew, that's a good day for one year. (laughs) All of Israel's sin was forgiven. Sacrifices were made. Not just people bringing sacrifices, but sacrifices were made to cleanse the temple itself. Sacrifices were made to atone for the sins of the priests who were supposed to be the mediators. You ever heard of the term a scapegoat? Comes straight out of Scripture. Because see, for the day of atonement, a goat called the scapegoat was presented as a substitute. And upon the scapegoat were symbolically the sins of the people that were laid upon him. This is what chapter 16, verses 20 through 22 says. When Aaron, who was, he was given the, the role of the Levitical priest, when Aaron had, has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, so all these needed to be purified, He must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, listen to these words, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. And as the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. We have one who's done that for us. Do you, you, you see it? I know you do. You, see, you hear the language, you see it, and you go, oh, that's what that means. That's why he took that upon himself. He is Jesus was fulfilling Levitical law. And this foreshadowing, it does two things, actually. There's, there's this whole section I didn't read that we'll look at later where the, there's a requirement for in the cleansing of the temple, in the cleansing of the altar, that it requires the, the blood sacrifice And so there is double foreshadowing here because there's one, there's foreshadowing that Jesus is is the promised high priest. He's the one that cleanses all that. But then also he's the scapegoat. He takes away the sins. He He takes the sins of the people upon himself and it is no more. Now the fifth and the final section, it's the largest section, it's chapters 18 through 27. And this is, the theme of this is just the way to be holy. The way to be holy. As chapter 11 told us, God says, I'm holy, so therefore I want you to be holy. What this section does is it it outlines, okay, this is how Israel is going to distinguish itself to, to be holy from all the other nations, why, why do you not eat this? Why do you dress like that? Why do you not do this? Why do you do all these things? To distinguish themselves from all the other nations because they were consecrated, set apart people. How are you going to look different, my people? God gave them a way to do so. And in chapter 26, it specifically highlights the promised blessings for those who pursue this holiness, but it also highlights the threat and curses for those who don't. And so the conclusion of the book, what it, it reveals God's heart as he, he promises forgiveness for to, to any who will repent of their sin. This is what it says beginning in verse 44 of chapter 26. The Lord speaking, he says, but despite all this, I mean, there's a promise. I will not utterly reject or despise them while they are in exile in the land of their enemies. I will not cancel my covenant with them by wiping them out. He had every right to. I will not wipe them out for I am the Lord their God for their sakes. That's us as well. I will remember my ancient covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of all the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So this is the promise. This is his desire. He's, we are set apart people. And this is what we, this, Leviticus, I hope, will come alive for us. And as we go on this this series together, I encourage you to be reading in Leviticus. I also encourage you to be reading in the book of Hebrews. Because Hebrews makes you go, ah, to a lot of the things in Leviticus. It's for us to, to read this together. As the band comes back out and those who are serving, go ahead and come and prepare to serve you. I want you to hear this think about this in a in a day where let's let's be real when when holiness is so easily neglected, so easily neglected, I think it's important for us to be reminded um, that we are to be holy as God is holy. It's what he calls us to. And what Leviticus does is it reveals, the heart of a gracious God. And He, what does he do? He he provides a substitute for us. He provides a substitute for the sin of his repentant people. And so the bread that Jesus shared with his friends, they were reminded of what happened in Leviticus and that law. And so when Jesus said, this bread represents my body which has been broken for you, They understood the scapegoat. They understood the the gross sacrifices that had to be made. And so when he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, this cup represents my blood, which has been poured out for your sins. Friends, sacrifice, sacrifice. Blood covering over our sin. It was very, very real to them. And my prayer is that this becomes very, very real to us. That we have a greater understanding of this beautiful sacrament. And that we desire to be holy as God is holy. Not so people can look at us and go, oh, wow, look how holy you are. No, 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 no. So that we would magnify the Lord. So that, so that when people see us, they don't see us. They see Jesus. They see a loving Father. They see a person full of grace and mercy. Hope and life. Which brings us to this communion table. All are welcome at this table. We say any who have, who want to be in relationship with God and repent of their sin are welcome to come and receive. And that's exactly what we do. We come to receive. We don't take. We come with hands outstretched. And we allow those who are serving us to place that bread in our hands. And be reminded of the broken body of Jesus. Oh, but then we take that bread in our hands, friends. And we dip it in the cup. And you watch that bread Go from white to red. Be reminded of how the sin covers our lives. It's wonderful that Jesus invites us to this moment. And I pray that that is your desire and your hope this morning. Father, would you receive this covenant that that you have made with us. May we receive it. And may we live into it. And may this sacrifice that you have made be so real to us, reminding us of how you have covered our sin. Lord, none of us are worthy to come and receive. Thank you that Jesus is worthy. If, if, we worked, if we worked on worthiness and, and our own stuff, there would be no servers today. There would be no worship team. I wouldn't be here. The place would be locked up. <laughs> We're worthy only because of Jesus. So we come to receive. Thank you for this sacrifice that brings us life. As you come to receive, the ushers are going to let you know when you may come and which station to go to. They'll have a basket with them. If you have an offering to place in there, you can. Or as you see the basket, just be reminded of how, uh, how you have an opportunity to participate in the ministries of the church. Lord, receive our offering. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.